Hi and welcome back to the Transfer Marketing Podcast. My name is Prashant Malkani and the topic for today's episode is the future of marketing in a technology-driven world. Technology at large in the last few years has forever changed the way how we live our daily lives. Our experiences with our devices have become easier and better. Thus, it should come as no surprise that brands across every industry keep steadily increasing their technology spending driven to reach various results and objectives. Early adopters of each new technology change the rule of the game. But with the pace at which technology is innovating and all the positives it brings with it, there are a few apprehensions, and rightly so, multiple consumers and the world at large have with it. To discuss this and a whole lot more, I have Todd Brzezenden on today's episode. Todd is currently a regional director at Eskimi, a programmatic and data platform, and has previously worked with brands like Dailymotion, Adparlor, and Brightcove. Besides his 23 plus years of experience, he's also a tech enthusiast. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Hi, Todd, and welcome to the Transfer Marketing Podcast. Really excited and looking right. forward to today's conversation. Me too. Thank you for having me. Thanks a lot for the invitation. Perfect. Uh, so I think this conversation today is going to be really interesting because there have been a lot of conversations and even still exist today. And, and what I'm actually speaking about is obviously technology. What I have noticed is that there are two kinds of conversations that are flowing. One is people who are positive about new technologies coming into play. And then there's obviously a set of audiences or consumers who are a little wary about new technologies. So just to begin, my first question would be that humanity today stands at the brink of technology-triggered revolution with technology singularity seeming more and more likely. Where would this uh, leave humans today? Yeah, I, I, maybe it's worth talking just for a, a few seconds about just kind of the different schools of, of thought that I, that I understand. Um, you know, on sort of one end of the spectrum, you have, I guess, what you could refer to as the, the digital utopians. Yeah. Those would be sort of the, the Ray Kurzweil's, um, yeah. and maybe even Sam Harris, Sam Harris and some of those guys. And then you have the other end of the spectrum, which we can get into this a little bit deeper, but like Elon Musk, you know, he's kind of a pessimist on this topic, or at least he, at least he professes to be publicly, but I have my doubts. Yeah. Um, Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson, people like that, you know, skeptics who kind of see artificial intelligence or artificial superintelligence, which is the, the logical extreme of, of this of this movement yeah to be sort of uh, detrimental to the future of humanity hmm. um, that computers will take over the world sort of you know the, the Terminator the Terminator yeah. spectrum of, of things. as I said, I'm more on the utopian side. I kind of have a very positive outlook on where this is all going. and uh, so yeah, just speaking from my perspective, we can kind of talk about the other side if you want to and, and what I know about what people say on the other side. But sort of my impression is, and, and we see this with Moore's Law, I'm not sure if, if we talked about this before, if your audience hmm. would know this, but Moore's Law is basically, you know, talks about the, the exponential growth of technology and, and computational power and the number of transistors that are transistors that fit on the chip. Yeah. And basically, you know, this, if I'm not mistaken, it's heat, so more came up with this, this paradigm back in the mid sixties, if I'm not mistaken, but you know, around about that time and pretty much everything that's happened between now and then is kind of mapped directly to his, to his uh, sort of graph, his chart. Yeah. And we see this in our, we see this in our everyday lives, right? So we tend to, you know, we all, I think we all tend to change our devices out every couple of years because we find that the devices that are coming out are iPhones, our computers and so forth. 
Yeah. You know, they're exponentially more powerful, but they're either the same price or cheaper. So we basically see, you know, the power of computing growing exponentially and the cost of getting cheaper or remaining the same. Hmm. Yeah. So essentially what, that's, what that means is that the computers are becoming more and more powerful all the time. You know, we already, artificial intelligence uh, is already obviously a, a huge buzzword and everyone's talking about it from marketing to every other, every other field. But at this point in time, we have what's called artificial general intelligence, which is basically just AI that's a set of, of um, instructions that can do one kind of task very well, like play chess or like play, like play Go. Yeah. Or, you know, cal calculators are obviously an example of, of a type of artificial intelligence that it already um, vastly exceeds the capability of the human mind, right? But yeah. it, can only, it can only do one task. Whereas the next step is kind of artificial general intelligence. And that's, that refers to artificial intelligence that also has the capability to, to adapt and learn new things. It will learn um, how to do other tasks and it will, it will basically know how to train itself to do new things. Yeah, and then the step beyond that is 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 artificial super or is uh, super intelligence, and that's where you get into the technological singularity. Where, and this is kind of why it's called the singularity because you know this term is borrowed from black holes and the idea that after the event horizon of a black hole, there's no no data is able to leave, no no light is able to leave. Hmm. So therefore, we're not we're not able to observe anything that happens after the event horizon. And yeah. that's, that's kind of the singularity. It's, it sort of refers to the point after which the laws of physics break down. We have no visibility into what happens after that. So this idea of the technological singularity borrows from that concept, yeah. which means that there will come a time when, when computers will surpass us in terms of um, they will, in a sense, become the, the most intelligent species. True. And yeah. what happens after that is kind of that's where, where kind of people split off into different fields of thought. Yeah. And that's where some people say, well, they're going to take over, they're going to replicate, they're going to, you know, crush humanity. Some people say that, you know, we should look forward to this because it's at that point, there will be no more need for humans to work because, True. you know, all the things that we do, you know, when we go to our jobs, I mean, a lot of us love our jobs, but if, if we're being honest, you know, we might rather be, you know, sitting in a meadow writing poetry or, or painting <laughs> pictures or, you know, other than yeah. doing our job. Yeah. So I think a lot of us would be very happy to have a computer do our work work and we can free up our time to pursue what we consider to be our hobbies. Yeah. And then you start getting conversations about, about universal basic income and how we'll deal with that as a society when we still kind of define ourselves by our jobs and by our work. So what does it look like when the day comes when we don't have to do that anymore? How do we yeah. then define ourselves and how do we support ourselves and how does society deal with that kind of thing? Yeah. In fact, just, just a part of something that you already mentioned, and this I know we had discussed earlier as well, that today companies or humans at large are definitely looking at innovating, innovating through different products, businesses, through different functions, for example. And there was a very interesting conversation that we had had previously, and you had mentioned that needs or wants or consumption, for example, is actually driving innovation. So do you think that's still the case? And that's why we are probably leading ourselves to technology singularity? Or do you think these companies or humans at large are possibly creating technology which are not still needs and wants of the general people, but are presumably preparing themselves for, for a better tomorrow? Uh, yeah, I, I think these days, you know, when, when you see companies like Amazon these and, and Google, you know, they make the bulk of their money by getting people to buy products and click on ads, right? Right. They're always looking for ways to do that more efficiently and to build mm. more powerful more powerful algorithms and more powerful, you know, have more powerful computers because so they can get people to click ads and get people to buy more um, 
just to be flippant about it, to buy more stuff and more junk. So a lot of human, a lot of great minds and resources are put towards this, this very mundane goal. Yeah. But what you see then the byproduct of that will be that computers will keep getting better and they'll keep focusing on trying to get better algorithms to, to get more efficient about getting that sale at a, in a, at a cheaper rate, at a cheaper rate and getting us to do these things more efficiently. Yeah. Um, the net result of that will, will be that they will develop more powerful computers. They will develop better algorithms. They will eventually get to artificial intelligence and artificial general intelligence. And eventually that will result in super intelligence. True. I mean, there are people who say, you know, there are people out there who are, you know, scientists in the, in the engineering community. There are people out there whose only job and only goal is trying to build artificial general intelligence and, and super intelligence. But if, you know, if I had to make, make a bet, I would say that it's going to be the ones who are focused on more mundane goals who are going to stumble on it in their quest to get us to buy more shampoo and toothpaste. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, you know, we have spoken about technology at large. You also did mention MarTech and AdTech platforms slightly earlier in this conversation and just wanted to focus on that aspect of things now, considering that this is actually a marketing transformation podcast. So my next question to you would be that, and this is just, you know, from my experience, there's this website that I follow called Chief MarTech. A few years ago, if you did log on to the site, uh, so what Chief MarTech does is he consolidates a lot of MarTech platforms that exist, MarTech and AdTech platforms that exist in the universe today. He compiles it or she compiles it together and they basically put out a snippet of all the platforms that exist. I started following this 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 platform about three, four years ago and I remember seeing about a thousand platforms and I was quite astonished to actually see so many exist today. If I log on to the same website, I see about 8,000 plus and this is obviously substantially growing. What I have realized also that there are multiple platforms that that person or the website hasn't covered yet. But what happens is when you look at the other side of things, right? So there's one side of MarTech and AdTech platforms that are being created by companies, by entrepreneurs today, but the other side of things are companies actually consuming these AdTech and MarTech mm-hmm. platforms. So where do, you, where do you think companies actually lie today uh, when they see such a large gamut of MarTech and AdTech platforms being created thanks to the advancement of technology, which keeps improving every month, every three months nowadays? So where where do you think companies lie today because i i know that from the from the other side of things again like the googles and the adobes of the world are definitely trying to acquire some of the smaller platforms to consolidate as much as possible so that companies directly still go to the larger players instead of you know being divided between multiple smaller players uh, but just wanted right. to understand your perception on where do you think companies lie today when they see such a big gamut of martech and adtech platforms thanks to the growth of technology yeah, um, just to sort of piggyback on your point, you know, I'm I'm in this space. I'm you know I read about it, I work in it, and I still you know I'm I'm based here in, in Singapore, and I get calls and emails a lot from you know, from ad tech companies who are either in the states. I'm looking to come to APAC. I'm looking for someone to help them launch an APAC, or from yeah. Europe looking to have someone help them launch an APAC, or even Australia. Um, you know, I was, I was talking to a friend of mine about this a couple weeks ago. You know, I just speaking to him, just mentioning that all these different, just how many different ad tech, tech companies get in touch with me. Hmm. And you figure, you figure that if they're getting in touch with me, it's gotta be like, that's gotta be like 0.01% of the entire universe of it. Right. It's just yeah. happenstance that they get in touch with me. True. So just imagine how much more there is out there. And I was, exactly, yeah. you know, I was, the conversation I was having with him is, you know, I've, I've always been on the ad tech side selling into usually agencies, you know, 
advocate, you know, sometimes brands directly, but it's usually agencies. So, and he was saying, well, and he, he actually said, well, you should look at this company called you and Mr. Jones. I'd never heard of them. Mm-hmm. And I looked them up and like, I, I learned about this, this new concept called, called brand tech. So brand tech, which was exactly this idea, which is essentially what this company does is aggregates um, lots of different ad tech platforms under one umbrella, whether it's through mm-hmm outright ownership, strategic partnership, or exclusive um, representation. Yeah. Um, so they have kind of this, this toolbox of different ad tech capabilities under their umbrella, and they just put sort of a, a strategic layer on top of that, and they can go brand direct with yeah. kind of... So, so essentially, you know, agencies now, and again, I don't want to get in trouble for this, but let's just mm. say broadly speaking, of course, there are exceptions, and, and you know who you are if you're listening, but essentially... Every media plan is a copy paste, right? It's going to be eighty yeah, percent Facebook, twenty yeah. percent Google, right? Every single Agreed. one is copy paste, copy paste. And yeah. if you're lucky as an ad tech player, you'll get it. You'll be able to get in there and convince someone to to carve off some small percentage of that for you and yeah. try something new. And if you perform, then then good for you, and you're you're kind of in the game. But that that's kind of rough to do or hard to do. Yeah. So so by taking this approach, instead of just saying instead of saying, you know, where the agencies would say every, for every problem, Facebook and Google is a solution. These guys can come in or with this concept, you can come in and say, let's have a conversation with you about what do you want to achieve? Let's talk about your business goals. What do you want to do? Yeah. And then based on that conversation, they can then go back to their toolbox and say, okay, what do we have here? It's such a much, it's a much more interesting conversation. Um, It gives you so many more opportunities to find to find the right audience in a more interesting and contextual and, and dynamic way than, uh, you know, just taking the, the same old lazy route. And Ooh. yeah, so I think that's a brilliant way to, to sort of aggregate all this, you know, aggregate all the different types of platforms and, and kind of put that together into a package and into a message and put a strategy layer on, layer on top of that and then yeah. take that to brands and kind of make that more you know, make it more accessible and more easy to understand. And I, I really love that space. I think it's great. Yeah, it's it's actually a really good concept. And I'm sure that there are going to be many companies in the near future who are going to start possibly consolidating platforms so that it becomes one, obviously easier for brands to, to narrow down in terms of the platforms that they want to use, but also in terms yeah. of the current players to become more relevant to, to directly reach out to customers. So I think that's a really good space to get into and a really good idea as well. So just streaming from that, and I know we, we just spoke about MarTech and AdTech and we spoke about very briefly about your experience, but that's something that I actually wanted to get into for my next question, is that today when we look at AdTech, uh, there are obviously companies like yours, for example, that looks like you know programmatic and, and a data management platform, for example. So I'm not talking about specifically Hiskini, but if you're looking at the ad tech universe currently, where do you probably see them, say, in the next two, three years? And the only reason I'm not saying five to 10, because five to 10 was kind of the mandate a few years ago. But I think the way we are innovating, the way technology is actually growing, I think as we stand today, the next three years looks very different. Yeah, I kind of, you know, every conversation I have with, whether it's clients or colleagues, or I always like to ask them this question just to kind of, pick their brain and do a sanity sanity check on kind of how I think about things because things like big data, first party data, these are all kind of buzzwords that people throw around. Yeah. But you know, my favorite, my favorite example is, is Agoda again, back when we traveled, hmm. I used to travel quite extensively. You would think that, that a company like Agoda with 
their budget and their scale, if anyone was going to be, be getting big data and targeting right, it would be someone like that. Yeah. But I would routinely, and when I say routinely, I mean every single time, as soon as I would book a hotel or come back from staying in a hotel, I would start getting bombarded with ads for that exact hotel from Agoda, which is an utter failure of, of big data, right? Yeah, true. Because um, you, don't, you don't want to target me with a place I already stayed last week. Yeah. Instead, you want to retarget me after I've booked that place with maybe, uh, you know, restaurants in the area or rental cars or, you know, whatever. Yeah. But that was just the absolute worst um, implementation of targeting data. Yeah. And I can't, you know, I've been in the space a long time and I, I could be very wrong about this and people might challenge me on it, but I do, as I said, ask a lot of friends and colleagues and they tend to agree who's really using big data and targeting that efficiently, right? Who's mm -hmm. managing their data that well? I, I don't know. And so, with the deprecation of the cookie kind of on, every, on everyone's mind and what that's going to mean for, for serving relevant ads, um, the conversation I'm having a lot more with people and what they're kind of agreeing with are, are, are mirroring back to me is that contextual is, is now going to kind of resurface as, as kind of the new, the new big thing, right? Hmm. Hmm. So instead of trying to understand me, instead of trying to chase me around and, and find out everything about me as an individual and making certain assumptions that because you dropped a cookie on me and because you've built this profile around me, that you're able to somehow divine what ad I'm going to want to see at this moment. It's just, it's not executed that well yet or very well at all. And it might start just, uh, it might be a moot point when the cookie's gone, um, unless someone comes up with a good alternative. Yeah. Whereas contextual, right? And I, and I like to use the example of fashion print magazines, right? Mm. Like Cosmo or Vogue. So these magazines, $15, people would pay, for, you know, women would pay for these magazines yeah. and they're like 70%, there's 70% ads, right? Yeah. So people like to say that people hate advertising. I don't, I don't agree with that. I think people hate advertising that's intrusive or, True. Yeah. or creepy or not relevant to them, but people actually love advertising or they love seeing marketing messages about things that are, they're truly interested in. I think that's a big reason why people will tolerate spending, not even tolerate I think a big part of the reason they buy those magazines is for the ads because yeah. they're, and those ads, those ads are not targeted, right? They don't know if the reader's 20 or 55. They don't know where that reader lives or how much that reader makes. They just know that this magazine is about fashion. So we're going to put contextual ads in there that are about fashion. Yeah. And just streaming from the last conversation also, the last question is that today there is a lot of, you know, conversations going around about AI, ML, there's a lot of conversations going on about VR, there's a lot of conversations going on about smart devices, AR, for example, big data, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. but in terms of technology, and I know you did mention contextual advertising and the creatives and all of that, but I'm just specifically, and obviously this is the last question before we end today's episode, uh, is that if we had to narrow down according to you, what do you feel from a, from a technology standpoint, what is going to be the next big innovation? Oh boy, you put me on the spot with that one. <laughs> uh, yeah. I actually always have an answer ready for this and, and maybe I can allow you maybe two minutes just to, just to think about it. I think uh, for me and according to me, and this is just my perception, I think everyone's perception, mm -hmm. speci specifically today marketers, considering the amount of technology and innovation they see coming their way, I feel the next big innovation, and this is obviously specifically in media, a 
according to me, I think is going to be blockchain because I think uh, blockchain is going to definitely add credibility to, to the kind of media that you're circulating. Today, if you look at digital media, definitely most of it is done through automation. There is some amount of credibility. You can actually see your ads. A lot of people still mm-hmm. believe that there are bots in place, replace the actual clicks through bot clicks and all of that. But oh, I, there are. I, yeah, yeah, their, yeah. Their fear there is their fear is well founded. Sorry. Yeah, but I feel that there are those traditional media channels. So you have TV, for example. You have outdoor, for example. You have radio, for example. Uh, you have in cinema, for example. These are still traditional channels that, at least, you know, in in places like India and I think most part, parts of the world, they are still very manual in nature. There is not too many platforms that kind of automate this process. And I think definitely we are, we are leading that way and possibly blockchain coming into the picture is kind of going to be able to streamline it where marketers directly tomorrow sitting in front of their laptops can decide that if they have a budget of say $100,000, for example, for a campaign, they can tweak it between the channels that they want, where they where do they want to show it, the kind of audiences that they want to show. And they would be able right. to authentically get the results back into a singular platform. So, so that's just my perception of it. So I, I would love to hear yeah. what do you think is, is the next big technology? I like that a lot. Um, I mean, obviously I know what blockchain is, yeah. um, but in terms of, I, I'm not really knowledgeable enough to get in the weeds on that specific thing. There is one specific use case that's very relevant to, to what I do that I think this would be a good application for. Yeah. And it, it deals with, with video. So how video is delivered, how video is consumed yeah. and how it's traded. Right. So I think, and this is something that I've wondered about a lot and you know, from my days with Breadco, working with, with different OTT platforms and publishers and, and content owners, as well as my time at Dailymotion and just being in the video space and the content space in general. Yeah. So what I think would be inter- an interesting solution is instead, if all content, and, and you, could, you could even maybe extend this into you know, a lot of news sites now, print news sites online are experimenting with subscription paywalls and that kind of thing, which I think is a terrible, a terrible quote unquote solution. But what if there is just an open marketplace where I hypothetically, if I was a content owner or producer, if I, if, if I created TV episodes or if I created movies or if I owned any kind of um, any content that I produced, yeah, if I could just kind of put that into a, into a general marketplace bucket and then any platform could then go and like, I would put it in there and say, okay, I'm going to put my, you know, I made a movie. I'm going to put it into this marketplace and I'm going to charge, right? My fee is going to be $2 for every view of my, of my movie. Yeah. Then all these different platforms could then go and say, could go into this general pool of all the content, you know, hypothetically in theory, all the content that exists and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take this and this and this, and I'm going to put that and I'm going to pull that into my platform. And they, as a platform owner, it's then their job is to go out and do their own marketing and get people to come and view content on their platform and they have their own subscription model, but then they're, you know, they're paying me the $2 for every view of my thing and then they can mark it up as they wish. So yeah. essentially just a general, right. And just get rid of all the lawyers, get rid of all the copyright stuff, just have a pool where people can pull, pull different types of content into their own platform and then, and then resell it and make their margin. Right. And let that market, you know, let that play out as it will. And I guess, you know, coming back to your point, I think that maybe blockchain would be a great, a great way to help manage all that. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. And I would say, unfortunately, but unfortunately, we've 
we've reached the end of this episode okay. i think if we had the time I, there were a lot of conversations that we can definitely have around you know technology and sure. technology specifically in the marketing space but since we've come to the end of this episode i would like to thank you for coming on board and sharing and i think and i hope this episode has definitely worked as a thought starter for a lot of people listening out there so thanks again dot for coming on board and sharing thank you thanks a lot for inviting me it was fun a short message for those who plan to start their own podcast you can visit www.hubhopperstudio.com hubhopper is india's leading podcast creation platform Start your podcast with Hubhopper Studio and get your voice heard across multiple platforms. Click on the link in the episode description to know more. And for the rest of us, hope this episode was useful for you. And if you would like to know more about this topic, you can reach out to Todd on LinkedIn. And in case if you have any doubts, feedback or just want to spark a conversation, you can catch me on LinkedIn, Instagram or Twitter. This is me signing out for this episode and looking forward to seeing you on the next one. Subscribe to the podcast for regular updates and one last thing, don't forget to stay curious.